Welcome to the Edible Alpha podcast series, your source for actionable insights into making money in food. I'm Tara Johnson, the Tara's Way Lady, and we're here to talk to a wide range of stakeholders about what it really takes to grow a financially viable food business. Thanks for coming down today. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. So, Johnny, um, you were one of the, how many founders of Underground Food Collective? How many were there? Uh, yeah, it's kind of blurry at this point. It's blurry. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, we don't have any defined start. It was oh, just, so okay. I would say, though, that, you know, m- most recognizable founders were me and my brother. So uh-huh. At the point. So okay. I'd say one of two. and. You know, there's a loose group of maybe six or seven people initially that were cooking together. Okay. So when you, so when was this? You know, we started, the idea for the Underground Food Collective started probably 2005. Okay. So 12 years ago. Holy cow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever think at the time you would be still doing this 12 years later? No, I always viewed being in business and entrepreneur, the entrepreneur side is like a, uh, a temporary place for my, for where I would be, you know, and, mm-hmm. um, weren't I, you in graduate school at the time? Uh, no, I actually, we started it right after I graduated from undergrad and, um, okay. and then kind of moved on to graduate school after we had already started the company, had become a real company and stuff. Right. So, right. Okay. So, so 2005, was kind of the year that we got off and going, and then... And you were a catering company then, yep. right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I would say catering and events, because okay. we were doing more events than we were really doing catering, okay. catering weddings and stuff. You know, we were, you know, I think the first thing that we really did um, that got us recognizable was the was bike the barns and so mm, mm-hmm. we we founded that that ride mm-hmm. and kind of developed it and uh i think from there wasn't yeah. that didn't that go on to be a reap thing so like it's part barns? of fair share csa fair share csa yeah That's so that was right. we 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 housed it in fair share from day one we partnered with oh, them oh okay cool and uh they still run it and um we actually did we participated in it again this year for the first time in a few years so, so. Oh, cool so you are hopelessly on serial entrepreneur, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I went to grad school actually to get out of, uh, to change, not change careers, but focus my career more on, mm-hmm. I thought I'd be doing food policy and, and politics. Um, but at that point, it went, when I went to grad school, all we had was a catering company. And by the time we finished, we had a meat processing company and a restaurant and, <laughs> and, and an event company. So... So in that two years there, you kind of, kind of my my career became a lot clearer what I was going to do. Right. Even though <laughs> I was full time grad student for three years. So. Wow! Wow! Okay, so you started um, with the event company and then started catering. Yep. And um, uh, so your first business was underground. We kind of called it underground food collective. It, yeah. Yeah, and that was the events and the catering. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we we pulled the name out underground catering once we started opening other businesses. So. I see, right, right. That makes sense. So the overall brand was called Underground Food Collective. Right, right. And that still exists now, right? The catering company. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Is uh, it still a big portion of what you do. Yeah, it's been an essential to what we do. You know, it's a foundation for us. Uh, you know, I think if someone wants to be in the food business, catering. And an events is not a bad place to start because it's low overhead to start, and you get a lot of cash flow. 
Mm-hmm. And it's really hard work. It's not mm-hmm. easy. Um, it takes a lot of experience to kind of get good at it. But, you know, you're not, you can rent space and you're not tied down to, you know, brick and mortar in the same way and your schedule is a lot more flexible. So, mm-hmm. you know, you can, if you had another job or something. So um, it's still provide, and it's provided cash flow for all of our businesses to get going. Um, right, ever since, right? Yeah, since it's, day one. Yeah, isn't that crazy? And the thing about catering is people pay in advance, too, they right? Do. They, 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 yeah. Right, so it's it's even better than paying um, paying when they buy it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. People are getting events in the middle of the winter, and, you know, and paying, it's going to be in the summer, and they're putting down payments and stuff. So always, it's been a huge part of what we do. I can't, mm-hmm. and it's still you know, pays a lot of bills. Mm-hmm. Now, how many businesses do you have? Underground businesses. Yeah, yeah. so that's, that's a hard question because we've been changing our model a bit lately mm-hmm. and we're partnering with more people. Okay. Um, but so I'm, you know, at this point, I'm probably involved in seven businesses. Seven businesses. So you've been, I don't know if mentored is quite the right word, but with Zingerman's and Ari at Zingerman's, right? Uh, I've met... Ari twice, maybe. Okay. Um, and we sell to Zingerman's. Okay. And, uh, I know some people out there that we work really close with. But Okay. So so there, I, when I think in the landscape of companies and food, the one that is probably the most similar to me, to you, is Zingerman's. Yeah. You know, I think they, they recognize the need to build production. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so whenever, you know, and, and so... You know, as their businesses have grown, they've built this infrastructure behind everything to support each other. So you got the deli, and then the deli, they start a bakery because they make so much bread, and then they start a sandwich shop, and then, you know, they start doing, you know, meat processing. They get some meat in and stuff, and then they, the mail order, you know, obviously sells a lot, and then they start a creamery because they're selling a lot of cheese through the mail order. And so, you know, they're continually building these these businesses out that support their kind of core retail mm-hmm. and core mm-hmm. mail order businesses and, um, and able to support it. And I think we have done the same thing. We have a centralized production facility mm-hmm. and, uh, out of that production facility, we do vegetable processing, vegetable preservation, uh, baking. We make breads, crackers, desserts, sweets, um, through this, and then we also have meat processing in there, and then smoking, and you know, p- pasta making, and so we have all these different capabilities within the food, um, within the food spectrum that we're able to take on, and then we can push those out into our other retail outlets, and that has allowed us to um, centralize our processes, be a lot more efficient, um, buy in bulk, create mm-hmm. savings there, utilize waste. I think a lot of times when we start new projects, it's always because we recognize waste. Mm, interesting. And so. Yeah. So you have, um, so you have a catering company, and then you have underground meets, right? And yep. I'm just naming the ones that I know, and then you get to fill yeah. in with the rest. So, so there's underground meats, and that's cured meats, correct? Or, uh, or so, do you yeah. Do more so than that we do more days? than that, yeah. Um, so we're meat processing there, I guess it's probably the correct term, but we do the dried, dried cured salami. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have fresh product that we sell. So we sell ground beef and ground sausages to a couple places. And then we also, um, you know, we're making deli meats too. So mm-hmm. not the dry cured. So we're doing like cold cuts, I guess is the, mm-hmm. the term. And then we do some, um, 
wholesale of cuts and stuff like that. So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, of cut meat. And then, so you're taking in, do you take whole animals or do you take primals in, or how do you do that? We take whole animals and we also mm-hmm. take primals. So, okay. Um, we're probably, you know, it's, it's a mix. <laughs> right. Any given month, you know, it depends on mm-hmm. how we're sourcing and who we're getting it from. Right. And you typically source from farmers? Yeah. So, I mean, we have direct relationships with all our producers. Um, you know, we're looking, we work with farms or co-ops, basically. Um, when we buy the primals and stuff, a lot mm-hmm. of times we'll work with a co-op. Right. Um, but when we buy from the farmers, we're buying directly from farmers with the mm-hmm. whole animals. So. Mm-hmm. And they're from all over Wisconsin, right? Yeah. We're with an hour border of Iowa and Illinois. So. Right. It's true. <laughs> you know, I don't, you know, and I'm not someone who really, I find a lot of the terminology around local to be somewhat arbitrary and not important. And, and a lot of times, like, uh, you know, nationalistic almost, you know, mm-hmm. it's like people, you're like, oh, if it's from Wisconsin, I'm like, well, you know, Rhinelander's a lot farther than Rockford to, right. to me. And, right. you know, so, you know. So we try to, we, instead of having these, like, kind of structured rules and trying to create language around those, we try to have values. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we like, hey, guess what? We want to work with these farms that we respect. And, you know, mm-hmm. if it, you know, more than 100 miles, you know, the, you know we don't want to have to stick to those rules. We want to be able to say, hey, we really have a lot of respect for this farm. We have a lot of respect for the way they do it. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be the process that we're going to work with. Mm-hmm. Or there might just be an opportunity that, you know, mm-hmm. we can pursue and, and that can be really good for us and it can be good for the other company and stuff, so. Right. And you do some really high-value, unique products that I would imagine it's not easy to find really good supply of the ingredients, right? So yeah, kind of unique gre- I would ingredients. Say, yeah, you know, I would say part of our company's strength is that, you know, we've spent a lot of time sourcing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we comb through the, the kind of been networking and, you know, you know, you have to understand how these products are produced and what kind of communities they're in and how to connect with them and stuff. And, um, and I think that's a skill set that not everyone has developed. It's a lot of work and I don't think everyone should develop it. I think it's like more work than, um, should be necessary for an entrepreneur, but then it's an advantage that we have. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so we have these networks and these relationships and, um, and so we're able to take advantage of that and bring it to market in a way that's all, you know, gives us something unique. Mm-hmm. When it's hard to source, you know, we, we know where to go. Right, right. So. And that is definitely, becomes a competitive, um, defensively unique competitive advantage for you because it's going to be hard to replicate that for a lot of people. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's really hard and you build it up over time. Yeah, and I, and it's funny because like, you know, I'm not, I don't believe in, in trade secrets, really. Yeah. You yeah. know, like, mm-hmm. I believe, I was like, you know what? I believe in, like, working really hard. Mm-hmm. Under, like, understanding comes from experience. You know, you can't, and so it's, I, if someone's like, oh, aren't you worried someone else is going to come in and steal your model and your business? I'm like, no. No. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> I get it. Yeah. You yeah. know, and if they do, good for them. You know, yeah, they, worked, right. they worked really hard, too. So, right. You know, right. it's like not everyone knows every meat processing plant in central Wisconsin. Right. And not right. everyone knows how to talk to the meat cutters to find out what farms are coming in, who's got supply, mm-hmm. how to make those connections. Not everyone knows how to, like, connect to the farmers you know, make those calls and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So, yeah. yeah. You know, some people do some, there's a lot, it's not, you're not mm-hmm. the only ones, but you know, it's not, 
it's not as easy as just calling your local distributor right, and, and just getting a product delivered. Item number two seven four two. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. So um, you also have Underground Butcher, mm-hmm. right? And is there more than one Underground Butcher these days, or just one store? So there's that is. there's one. Mm-hmm. Um, in Madison. In uh, Madison, yeah. yeah. And then we opened another retail store in uh, Minneapolis that we're partners in. Okay. So that's called Lowry Hill Meats. Okay. Um, and then tomorrow or tomorrow? next week, there's a, a shop in Milwaukee opening called Bertram Butcher that uh, we're partnering with them to uh, open to. So, okay. Um, our relationship is not as... We don't have an ownership stake in it as much mm-hmm. as that we did a lot of the development with them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, kind of they're going to be using a lot of our products in that mm-hmm. way. So, mm-hmm. And uh, are they going to be selling underground branded product there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. that's pretty much... So they, they, they're, they're taking a lot of what we did at Underground Butcher, mm-hmm. and they're going to be using that to mm-hmm. open a retail store in Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Okay, so some butcher shops. And then Four Quarter here is a restaurant in Madison. Yep. And Four Quarter, the story of Four Quarter is... Yeah, uh, so it's been open for about five years, and um, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, before we started recording, we were just talking about how the east side of Madison has been just ballooning, mm-hmm. and so much new things going in there, but you know, in 2012, I, so I'll just back up, I've lived on the east side of Madison almost since 2000, so mm-hmm. like, I've lived there for a long time. Um, I lived within a two block radius for the last 15 years and right. you know I own a house and now over on the east side so you know it's pretty entrenched in that neighborhood and I remember you know we had a restaurant on the square that we opened in 2010 and had a fire um, in the building and lost the restaurant it's called Underground Kitchen and in that uh, process you know when we had time to reflect and just be like what are we going to do next you know I was like oh I want to I was like, I really want to open a neighborhood restaurant. I really want to do it on the east side of Madison. And mm-hmm. um, and it worked, you know. Uh, we went into the space that we were pretty excited about. You know, obviously a lot of restaurants had opened on Willie Street, but, you know, we were we were really the first ones to come over to Johnson Street um, and try to do something a little bit nicer, a little bit neighborhood restaurant that wasn't just like pizza or cafe. So, um, you know, and there had been other places like Sophia's was there, and that's an institution. And, uh, you know some pizza places, Johnson Public House, stuff like that. So So Four Quarter, um, you opened, and I think it was within a year you started winning all kinds of awards for that restaurant. Yeah, we got lucky. You know, it's kind of, I think the media, the the way that media kind of follows restaurants is a Mm -hmm. little bit crazy, but, you know, um, I think the story of who we were as a company had developed, and so we had some media around us. And so it was a big deal when we opened. And so regional media started covering it. And the regional media was like, wow, this is a good restaurant. And mm-hmm. we had write-ups in Minneapolis and Chicago about mm-hmm. it. And so then and then the national media picked it up. And, you know, that led to we got nominated for Best New Restaurant in the Country mm-hmm. by the James Beard Awards. And then we were, Bon Appetit listed us as one of the Best New Restaurant openings that year. Um, and, and Eater you know, chose our chef as one of the best young chefs in the country. So, yeah, so, I mean, we had... Yeah, that's pretty impressive. (laughs) Yeah, so we... Because he's here talking about it as this little neighborhood restaurant, right? Yeah. Which it is, in a way. Yeah, it's 30 seats. It's, you know, it's on the east side of Madison. Half of those are bar seats. (laughs) Right. (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, it's not, it's not, um, you know, we're not sitting there with a, a large formal dining room. So. Right. And, and the kitchen is tiny. Yep. Yeah. Right. And not a lot. I mean, we're able to do that because we have, you know, 6,000 square feet of production space offsite. Right. So. Right. Right. And it was a way for you to showcase your cured meats when you started that, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's the idea. I don't know if we necessarily do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think I think a little bit, we, we were a little worried that we're going to get too pinned into the meat side because that's, mm-hmm. so, you know, in, in talking about the business, you know, we want to be viewed as a food business. We don't want to be viewed as a meat, pro- a meat business and meat right. heavy and stuff. And so we came really forward with, uh, you know, making sure that we had a vegetable forward menu and stuff. And so... Well, we do have the meats there, and it gives opportunity for people to see it. You know, I think we've always been a little bit shy about, you know, making it the big point of the restaurant. So, Right, um, right. But that being said, you know, we do have the meat processing, which is a scalable business with a national distribution model. And um, obviously having an award-winning restaurant. Puts that on the map. Yeah, it helps it put it on the map. You know, no, I don't think no one else has that in the same way that we do. Right. You know, no one's, you know, there's other meat processing businesses, obviously, and there's other restaurants, and but no one is creating the kind of structural mm-hmm. uh, brand mm-hmm. between product and restaurant in that way we do it right now. Right, right. With the, in the meat world. Right, right. And I've taken people from... New York to that, you know, to Four Quarter and very sophisticated people who are coming to Madison yeah. thinking that, you know, we're, we're flyover territory and just fell off the turnip truck. And, and they'll tell me that this is some of the best food they've ever had. Like they didn't, they can't even imagine finding this in New York. I mean, it, it yeah. is good. Yeah. I mean, I think that's one of the things that's interesting about Madison is that we have a pretty sophisticated consumer here because we have uh, the university, which draws on, you know, a, a, a national faculty, and a lot of them are from the East Coast, and so they're really picky. And then you have, you know, uh, economic development here that's really strong, and so you have a, a consumer class that is spending money, and then you also have an agricultural um, advantage here. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Four Quarter is, has a customer who will kind of embrace it for what it is, which is, you know, a thoughtful restaurant that is really ingredient-centered and trying to do kind of, you know, uh, different things with the menu, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's not hard. It's not We're not trying to make things hard to heat. You know, we're trying to make them delicious, but, you know, maybe some of the words they're not understanding or, you know, they're, it's like why, you know, you know, why isn't it just like steak and potatoes or meat and starch, you know, so we're allowed to... We're allowed to change that variation because we have the customers. But then, you know, you go to New York and you have these restaurants that are, you know, really sophisticated and forward thinking. But then their access to agricultural products is limited because they live in a city of, you know, however million people. And it's hard to get the products to those restaurants, whereas, you know, our farmers are 20 minutes from our door. You know, we could text message them on a Thursday and the product's there, you know, in the afternoon. Right. Um, Right. And and as I said, I think some of the, the the uniqueness about your food comes from the uniqueness of the place where you're getting, the farm where you're getting, right? That terroir idea is definitely 
real in your food. Yeah. And, you know, we can have these relationships with farms where, you know, they're bringing things to us that inspire us and Mm -hmm. we're able to give feedback and say, hey, this is the, you know, this is the way that we, we want to grow and they're willing to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, And and because there is so many young farmers who are trying to be small organic farms here in the area, you Mm -hmm. know, they have to be willing to work with the consumer. Whereas if, you know, you're in a bigger city and you're relying on these distribution networks, these farms are probably at the point where they don't have a lot of flexibility. Right. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's quite a unique thing. So did I miss anything or am I missing any businesses here? Um, Have we come up to seven? Yeah. So, I mean, it's hard to count, but, you know, we have this, we have this brand now called Collective Goods, which is our, um, which is our baking and vegetable process. So pickles and ferments and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also were opening a brewery. Um, mm-hmm. So we're, again, it's one of those partnerships where... Um, it's in your space. It's right? in our space, yeah. but we're also part of the brewery. So okay. uh, we're developing all the food. We're working with the brewers. We're gonna, So we're going to have a strong voice in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, the other thing that we're doing now is... Um, you are opening, we're in construction on a, another cafe slash retail space on the west side. Oh, my. So You've moved to the west side. Yeah, Isn't I feel crazy? like... crazy? People don't drive across the isthmus, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, I think we realized very quickly how many customers of ours were from <laughs> the west side. <laughs> right. And it's like as soon as like the square, as soon as like weather hits or... There's some kind of event that like shuts down the, the isthmus. Traffic, right across the we isthmus. die, and yeah. so I think it's like okay, you know, yeah. you know. I think that was one of the most drastic things as a opening a business the first time was to see how much people didn't look like myself. <laughs> right? How about that? <laughs> you know, they were a lot older. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, n- now their age difference isn't so much, but at the time <laughs> I was like, I thought it's like we're gonna have all like 27 year olds in here, and yeah. you know. They're going to be hip, and it's like, oh, well, they don't have the, like, disposable incomes that... Oops, (laughs) right. So, you know, we can't make it as uncomfortable as, you know, we can't shove them in the seats like we would in New York, you know? So, um, so yeah, I think that, you know, that, you know, knowing who your customer is and where they come from, and, you know, to be honest, like, you know, the west side of Madison is underserved in comparison to the east side, so... It is, in terms of really good, ironically, right, in terms of really good, (laughs) unique food, and it's true. Okay, so that's a lot to handle. So how do you handle all this? Like, how are you structured to handle all of this? Um, you meaning you as a person, but also the yeah, business. Yeah, so I guess, you know, my, I'm always building infrastructure. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I'm never, you know, there's never anything that we do where we're not trying to increase our capacity to do more. Mm-hmm. So it's like if we, if we're, if, if we're ever going to purchase something, it has to be something that has multiple services. And if we're ever going to build out a space, it has to have the capacity to do more for us than just that one thing. And I believe in the same way that I hire people is that, you know, you want to you want to hire the person who's the most talented, even if their skill set isn't directly what you need. And so I'm hiring people who are... Um, you know, I'm trying to hire people who are creative and thoughtful and even having like a university degree is something that, you know, I value over maybe some restaurant experience just because I know that they have some experience 
they understand how to research, they understand mm-hmm. how to solve problems maybe in a way that if you've been taught away in the kitchen, you know, you haven't necessarily had to like spend as much time doing that. And not, not that those skill sets are, you know, not that having a degree is going to make you better at some things, but you know, so, you know, so, so I, so I'm hiring people in Madison again, it's like, you have this like university, you have this flux of talent and you don't have a lot of jobs and you have a lot of people who want to work in food who Mm -hmm. are coming out with degrees. So, you know, we have these opportunities to hire these really smart people who, mm-hmm. um, who do a really good job. What do you, what do you think is important about the, the culture to, that allows people like that to, um, to stay? I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's jokes around it. I mean, I grew up in a cult. So you grew up in a cult. Yeah. You so get like to people, coll- you get to like flesh this out. So yeah. so uh, cu- your parents were part of a cult. Yeah, my parents were part of a cult. They were. Yeah. So okay. so like there's a little bit people joke around the underground cult. Uh, <laughs> um, oh oh god! Like and you're like, in. no, 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 yeah. you don't get it. But you know, it's like you want people to buy into the vision. Sure. <laughs> you know, and you you know you just want that vision to be like egalitarian and not like repressive and right and cult like. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Um, so that's something you understand really well when you grew up in like a religious environment like I did is like, you know, Mm -hmm. what motivates people to want to believe in what you do is, well, you know, Mm -hmm. I think we try to, we try to do something where we really, um, you know, we have, we, people can feel good about what they're doing and they can feel like, yeah, the sourcing here is awesome. The commitment to quality is awesome. The treatment of people is really great and mm-hmm. the, the flexibility to let people be who they are is something that's really important to us so mm-hmm. you know you know I had people who have worked in a lot of different places with me and they come and they're like hey I'm not into this anymore and it's like okay well let's figure something else out and, mm-hmm. you know I think we're really people centered mm-hmm. um, and so and so having people who um who feel valued and you know I you know this like I this is like I I worked in for in a kitchen in undergraduate you know and I was just I was in there and like my boss was just yelling at me for a mistake that he had made Mm. even though he he didn't realize it was his mistake making you know it wasn't he wasn't trying to be like vicious but I just remember sitting there with my head slung down and just was like I never want to treat anybody that way you know like I I want to run my own businesses. I didn't even think I was going to run a business. Right. But I was like, if I'm ever in a position, I'm never going to demean someone, even if they make mm-hmm. a mistake, you know? And uh, mm-hmm. and so, like, that that moment, like, stuck with me for, forever. Mm-hmm. I still think about it, you know? And so, like, you know, we just try to create a, 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 a culture and a space where people, um, you know, really human. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think kitchens a lot of times can be really hard and stressful places and stuff, so... Um, by being thoughtful and, and gracious and thankful, you know, I think mm-hmm. that's important. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's not to say that everything's easy, but I do definitely think that that's the highest side of it. So, so yeah, just, I mean, getting back to like what it is, is, you know, we have, we have a vision and with the brand that I think is really distinct. Mm-hmm. I think people who work for us and people who've worked at other places recognize our commitment to quality and commitment to sourcing is really high. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing is, 
is just the valuing of the people. Mm-hmm. And through that, we've built a strong organization and a lot of people that I really trust and rely on, you know. And, you know, in the business at this point, there's two main partners. It's me and my partner, Melinda, or Mel. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think we work off each other really brilliantly. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, and so the levels of capacity that we're able to take on is always through the level of talent that we have in the organization. Absolutely. And, yeah. you know, there's certain things, you know, I actually find that I'm, um, you know, I don't have a hard time, I don't have a hard time, like, passing things off to people. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I also, like, still have, like, a really close touch of what's happening mm-hmm. and stuff and catching mistakes or seeing things that are happening and stuff. So, you know, at some point that capacity will run out a little bit. Mm-hmm. There's been points where I felt really overwhelmed and not able to like function. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, it, just the amount of, of entrepreneurial activity starting these businesses has got to become kind of overwhelming at times. You yeah. Know? And so, so do you have, uh, so I know from um, from talking to Ari at Zingerman's that they have a very intentional process of um, for launching another um, Zingerman's business, and yeah. and they do a lot of mentoring of the manager who is, and they make them a partner in the new business in order to um, to get alignment um, in the business. So yep. do you do that when you're entrepreneur in this way? Yep. Yep. So. You know, in the new businesses that we've started in the last couple of years, the Minneapolis one, the first, you know, we partnered with someone who is the main owner, actually, mm-hmm. um, has the majority ownership. And they, um, and you know, they worked with us for a long time. We helped them still support, you know, I view it, I view it as like we're more of a support for them mm-hmm. than we are actually uh we're actually, you know, running the show because mm-hmm. they're the ones who have to be there right. and do so it. So you're almost being like an angel investor in a way. Yeah, except the angel investors tend just to take more time from the entrepreneur right, right, and, right, like, exactly. and giving their yeah. ideas. Then, right, right. <laughs> then, then what you're doing. Yeah. Are you, but are you doing more? I mean, operationally helping them? Or? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so, okay. I mean, we have all these systems set up, you know, and mm-hmm. the thing is, is, so we have all this integration of the business. You know, we have, a, you know, we have someone who can do all of our graphic design. We have all our financial people. Mm-hmm. We have all these systems already set in place. And then, you know, we just, like, train them on those stuff, you know, help them get that stuff going continue the conversations and just try to try to con- continually be like okay what else can we do to help you what mm-hmm. else where else are you doing and you know mm-hmm. and so yeah so that's you know that's the way our business is able to work now you so know? do you do uh, the admin stuff on behalf of that business uh some of it some of it yeah, yeah. So, so we so it's kind of like they a, they handle some of their admin stuff mm-hmm. and we handle some of it right. too so so it's a bit like a food fight in a way that food fight does that kind of admin centrally or not so yeah, much. Yeah, yeah, I think that's totally fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Okay, cool. I mean, I'm interested in this because I think um, there, there are different variations and different ways to do this, but the idea of growing a business by having a series of interrelated but separate businesses is a, I call it a horizontal way to grow a business. And, yeah. And there aren't a lot of people who do it, and there are different ways of approaching it, right? And so the yeah. degree of integration is different, and yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I think the administrative side is an interesting thing to talk through a little bit. So 
if you're a business mm-hmm. and you need to run your administrative side, you know, just you have your HR, you have your um, your bookkeeping, you have some of your legal, you have correspondence and communications, and you have design and graphic. These are all things that I think I think a lot of new businesses start off and are like, okay, we'll just hire that out. So you mm-hmm. hire a bookkeeper for five hours a week, and then you hire, you know, someone to do your graphic design, and you hire, you know, maybe, you know, most likely in most small businesses probably just do their HR is done by the managers, but some some will some will hire that out, you know, to do that. Having a postgraduate degree, I was like, you know what, I think I can figure out how to do this. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I had run books before and and so you know I was running the books and then you know we hired someone to do catering for us to catering communications and then I was like well why don't you do the books too so she took over the books and I I like oversaw the books and then you know now we have two full-time people who are doing you know HR and our administrative books and we have you know half-time person who's doing graphic design and I mean I still do a lot of the communications and stuff so you know, it's just like we just wanted to learn those skill sets. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, there's, there's mistakes made, um, but there's mistakes made by bookkeepers too. Sure. You know, and HR people yeah. too. So, But you're building out a team because you have to. So how many employees do you have now? About 150. So. 150, yeah. yeah. It's, a long, it's a lot of people compared to you and your brother way back when. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. So okay. So new business, you have a leader in it. Um, do you do you sort of groom leaders. the leader or leaders, and do yeah. you groom them by having them work in maybe other underground businesses or? For sure. You know, um, you know, m- almost always, you know, they've had an opportunity to work in a different part of the business. So. Mm-hmm. And you know, we're bringing people from that position to mm-hmm. to there, and you know, hopefully, they've worked in multiple sides of it too. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Multiple roles in the other business, so they yeah. So it's, you know, maybe someone's working at catering, and then they also worked at Four Quarter, or someone mm-hmm. has worked in, you know, the butcher shop, and they also were working at meats. You know, those right. things are all kind of together. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so, do you think you have a crop of people? Because one one of the things I find interesting about this, and this is true at Zingerman's too, from what I understand, is that. The, the environment of the bigger company is so entrepreneurial that yeah. it becomes kind of a breeding ground for entrepreneurs, which is not typically what happens in a bigger company. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we have a lot of really talented people who I, I'm sure will run their own businesses. There's been some people who have mm-hmm. started their own things and mm-hmm. have been really successful with it and stuff out of us. So, you know, that's, you know, the goal is either that, you know, someone has the opportunity to do something with us or that they you know, at some day we'll go start their own thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. And are you like intentional about that or does that just happen? I'm just curious. Um, yeah, you know, I think, you know, I think this is like, you know, something for, I, I think small business owners, the reason they're a small business owner and their businesses don't grow is they have a lot of these like bad habits that, um, that they kind of ingrained in themselves, which is really protectionism, like a lot of protectionism, you know? Right, so it's like this they is think what they... I do, and I'm the only person who can do it. Yeah. yeah, and, oh, we don't want this person to leave, and so we're going to create this, like, environment in which, like, they feel trapped. <laughs> 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 and, you know, and, you know, we're going to set up, we're not going to trust anyone, 
And, you know, so, you know, whenever anyone leaves the company, I'm always really supportive of them. Or whenever anyone gives ideas of what they want to do with their life beyond underground, you know, you know, there's an instinct to be like, oh, no, I'm losing someone that's really valuable. And there's also, but you, you always, I, I always fight that and mm-hmm. like just come back and be like, hey, I'm proud of you. I'm excited for your next venture. And I think people in the company see that. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, you have these, you have these like protectionist, you know, things in the company like, oh, well, they're leaving. And, and, and then if you see the management and the leadership being like supportive of them, and saying, hey, you know, congratulations, thank you for so much what you did here, this is what we valued, you know, then that changes people's kind of view on the whole thing. I think they they um, they feel like you're valuing and respecting the human beings who work in the company, right? Yeah. And I think on average it, it increases people's respect and commitment. That yeah. would be my guess. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, I think those are things that, you know, can be really helpful to your business growth rather mm-hmm. than um, rather than a negative trait. Right, right. And then I I, um, I have the impression I may be wrong about this, but that you're not a particularly hierarchical organization. <laughs> um, so there's a there's like a joke around underground that there's a hierarchy at underground. It's just really confusing. <laughs> it's just really confusing. <laughs> um, <laughs> But the org chart that doesn't exist would look like spaghetti or yeah, what? No, yeah. no. So here's the thing is is that um, you have to be self-motivated. Right. I've had perfectly good employees quit after a week because they're just like, I don't know what to do here. No one is telling me mm-hmm. what I should be doing. Mm-hmm. And the standards are super high. <laughs> you know, it's like, why why are people coming and being like, oh, this needs to be better or this needs to be done like this, but no one is telling me how to get there, you right. know? And, you know, there's obviously roles of mentorship, but, like, if you're not going out and researching, if you're not, mm-hmm. you know, thinking about how other people are doing their job and mm-hmm. recognizing that and emulating that, then you will just, you will get, so you will not last long because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it would be an uncomfortable place for you to work and, you know, there won't be a lot for you to do. Mm-hmm. And so, so, and I think that comes from not wanting to have these hierarchies where everyone, you know, feels like the hierarchy is placed on top of them, mm-hmm. you know, but we also have these goals and values and visions that we're trying to, you know, express and, and, make part of our businesses. And so, you know, that, that to me is where, um, you know, that's, that seems like a better system than just be making all these like systems that are, you know, with all this accountability that is hard to figure out exactly if you're doing it right or not. Mm-hmm. Um, instead, you know, instead we're like, okay, we're going to give you a lot of feedback, but we're also not going to like sit there and create these structures for you to work in. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and, and that allows us to s- change our systems a lot, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, we have our businesses where uh, one day the model might be this and then the next day the model's this and then another person mm-hmm. is taking And then we have, we see something working and then we're like, okay, we're going to just let that move into and be the structure that we're going to use for now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we're not set on that, you know. And I think I can give concrete examples like that is, is like the way that leadership works. So we have our restaurant. And, you know, there's, 
um, you know, there's big, there's like three different sous chefs now, which is more than a big restaurant has. Mm -hmm. But, you know, these people all take on responsibilities and they're really good at what they do. You know, and before we had one person doing that job Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. they were good at what they did too. So, Mm -hmm. you know, so it just depends on where you're at with the moment and the people you have. Mm -hmm. And then you try to figure out that. Right. And then they, then some of them will move to somewhere else within underground, I would guess. Right. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I look at how it manifests itself a lot of times. and Aren't it, kitchens and restaurants typically really hierarchical? Yeah. So, yeah. You know, I kind of identified as an anarchist through most of college, and I have a lot of, I think, anarchy. Like, I think that, like, systemized anarchy is, like, a really good system. Um, but it's just, like, how do we bring that into a kitchen culture? And, you know, I think we've done a fairly good job of that. And I, I think people are going to take the word anarchy and maybe – use it in a way that it's not me. It's not like everyone just doing their own thing, you know, but it's like allowing, not having this hierarchies like super structured in place and, you know, um, and so kitchen, so I came into kitchens and, you know, you have an executive chef and then you have, you know, a chef de cuisine and then you have a sous chef and then you have, and then, right, and we're going down a hierarchy We're going down a hierarchy right? and it's based off a military structure and, you know, mm-hmm. someone who is, doesn't, want to have a military structure in their kitchen is, you know, how do you build that? So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so that was, yeah, so that was our, our, you know, kind of rebellion against it was just not having that. Right. Well, and you were called a collective in the beginning. So. Yeah. And we still yeah. have, you know, I think there's, you know, collective is a strong word that can mean a lot of different things. And at the beginning, you know, we were a worker collective and now we, now I kind of like, well, I think we have like a collective of businesses. <laughs> You're a collective <laughs> of businesses. There you go. <laughs> well, and uh, it, Ari says that he was an anarchist too, Ari from, from Zingerman's. Yeah. I've heard him say that. So you have that in common too. <laughs> yeah. Do you have a lot of turnover or not so much? You know, we're at the size now where turnover is pretty inevitable. Right. And the labor market's really weird right now. Right. It's so really tough for everybody to find strugg- people. Everyone's struggling mm-hmm. in the labor market and, you know, it's created a lot of like really awful um, scenarios for people where, you know, people can, the the people who are working are, I think, are learning bad habits because, um, because you can quit and get another job. Mm-hmm. There's no, there's right. no consequences there's no, for right. being you know, for doing a bad job somewhere because mm-hmm. someone else will hire you in a second. They won't even check your references. Right. Because, and I don't check references anymore either because it's like, if you can work tomorrow, great. Right, right. Um, and you sometimes, you know, I, sometimes you check references, but, and especially for higher positions, but yeah. like at the low, at the low levels, the entry mm-hmm. levels, you know, the labor market's really awful. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, and we're trying to figure out innovative ways to think through that and do mm-hmm. different you know, it's like how can we innovate to make our lives, our 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 labor situation better? And, you know, so obviously some of that from a market response is people get paid more. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. happening for sure. You know, our customers going to pay more for the food. Uh, that needs to happen, but it's not because mm-hmm. everyone's like holding out right now. Right, and I I think it's kind of it feels like there's just got, the dam is going to break at some point. You know, this is true for contractors who you know people who do concrete, people who do roofs, and anything. Right, it, everybody says the same thing. We can't 
We would pay people more if we could raise our prices. Nobody wants to be the first one to raise their price. Yeah. It's a bit like, you know, the airline fare <coughs> wars, you know. It feels like that to me, that at some point, it does just, that, yeah. doesn't it? And it feels like at some point the dam is going to burst and prices are going to start going up because we don't have people to do stuff. Yeah. And I mean, there's and maybe there will be innovation to bring down costs. And mm -hmm. I think, you know, obviously people are looking at robotics right now. And I yeah. think you're going to see a lot of that in the kitchen mm -hmm. and processing and stuff and, and such. But, you know, it's like, you know, people expect to have this, like, you know, this labor of love right. <laughs> and they expect you to do it do at a it price point nothing. where yeah. it's really cheap and, you know, it's just not realistic and everyone's mm -hmm. making it realistic right now. And that's, it's just tough. And, yeah. and so it would be good, you know, so, so yeah, the response is that the prices, prices need to go up, labor mm -hmm. wages need to go up. Mm -hmm. Um, those are two things that I think are important, but, um, but yeah, and then there needs to be innovation around that right. side of things because the current labor market is just really shitty. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. You know? So <laughs> I I um I was talking to somebody who um I when I first met him, he owns a cheese plant, and um and and it, when I first met him, it was like you know he inherited this little cheese plant from his parents, kind of thing, right? And his books were a bunch of receipts in a shoebox. And, you know, fast forward many years, he's now um, got a shipment of robots coming from, um, from Europe um, specifically for, to support cheesemaking because he's out in a rural community in Wisconsin and there's nobody there to work. Yeah. Yeah, robotics is going to have a lot of solutions. Mm -hmm. um, it's such a it's such an interesting time, right? And we're here we are caring about the environment and caring about, you know, farmers and small family farms and everything else. And then we're also looking at a situation where we're gonna have to have automation in order to right, to keep up with what we've got. It's it's an interesting time. Yeah, I mean, on the technology side, we're seeing a lot of automation, you know, mm -hmm. like just on like the way that I can consume information sure. and data, you know, I'm able to get graphs and, <laughs> you know, reports that are done, you know, that I used to have to build spreadsheets for. Right, no more. No yeah. more, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. And, and so so that side, obviously, there's been a lot of automation that's been possible, but like, you know, in the general manufacturing, I think automation, it's obviously mm -hmm. hit a lot of places, but I think, you know, I don't think a, a restaurant like ours would ever be able to automate a lot of what we do, but there mm -hmm. will be systems in which automation yeah. can happen. Maybe, and then manufacturing too. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, you know, I think the the business model that you've developed with a central kitchen supplying a series of other business entities the way it does yeah. um, has brought down the cost of starting a restaurant for you, but it also brings up opportunities to use larger equipment and maybe, some, you know, automate in systems. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's what we're looking at all the time is mm -hmm. how to be more efficient, you know. Right. And, you know, that's going to allow us to expand and do more. Mm -hmm. It is an interesting thing because I think people, when they listen to you and talk about being in, you know, anarchy, controlled anarchy or whatever yeah. it is that you call it, it, it kind of conveys this sense of chaos, yeah. except that you don't, you're kind of my 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 impression of you is you're very systematic about how you do like everything. 
we think through a lot, you yes, know, you I, and, 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 and we're always questioning how things systems work and mm-hmm. understand it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, it's, yeah, I'm not against systems at all. You know, I just, I think that. In a way, they free up people to be more creative. Yeah. In a way. Um, yeah. You know, I think going back to just the model that we have with the centralizing, you know, there's a lot of opportunity here right now mm-hmm. in this space. Mm-hmm. Um, because we're both in the local foods world, mm-hmm. you see a lot of really inefficiencies, right? Right, right. So you, you, you know, and, and it, it was a reaction to... Big corporate big food, Big corporate right? crappy yeah. food, right? right? Yeah. But, like, I'm not necessarily sure that the, like, celebration of inefficiency <laughs> is always a, mm-hmm. a super great... <laughs> Thing. It's kind of like the local thing that doesn't really make sense. Like, yeah. is that and really so, better? I mean, so we every can, yes, yeah. go ahead. So everyone was like, you know, criticizing these models, and then like you look at the bigger people, and they're like, oh my god, these people are so silly. Right, <laughs> right. But then they're like, oh well, there's actually real economic impact happening now at the local level. We have we're building these, but like we haven't built any infrastructure. Right, we haven't. Yes. Uh, you know, it's like all we have done is built these like micro farms and you have all these struggling entrepreneurs and I'm mm-hmm. just like, I'm like, what kind of system, what kind of, where, what, what's our, what's the end game here? You know, that mm-hmm. everyone, you know, struggles through and, you know, it's not creating. And then, you know, you see some of the successful people, they exit out and they just go join, you know, the larger companies and yeah. they get sucked into the brands and, you know, they sh- spit them out. And so, like, there's got to be this, like, other model, which is, like, what I'm trying to do, which is, like, okay, like, let's take the local values and, like, let's try to, like, create these systems. And we're at a moment with technology, I think, that we might be able to, like, really have some efficiencies that are affordable, you mm-hmm. know? And so, you know, we'll have automated systems that allow for, you know, I'll give you some examples here because I think it's too theoretical. So UW Hospital mm-hmm. decided that they want to buy more local, right? And they're a huge buyer, right? So we don't have a f- we don't have a lot of farms, right? That are big enough. That are big enough right. to say that we have some, right? They have done all this work of doing like really awesome networking and 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 getting products in there. And you know, there's the person, the kitchen chef in there, Ellen Ritter. I have so much respect for her because she's doing all the hard work. Right. But like, you know, if another institution wants to do that, that model's not really, we can't replicate it. But I look at what Ellen's doing and I'm like, okay, let's say you want to, um, you want to use broccoli. Mm-hmm. You know, you go, you find it from a farm and you guys process it. Well, what if UW Madison wants to use broccoli too? Right. They go find it from a farm. They buy the equipment. So why do we have to buy that equipment twice? Mm-hmm. And and I think that I think that small businesses and local businesses they've they, they've we've we've built the same. We're like all buying the same equipment again and again and again. And there could be this like more shared mm-hmm. model. So so you know one of the things I'm thinking about a lot. This is why we started a meat processing business. It was like right right you know can't get this meat can't get it. So let's do it mm-hmm. and then hopefully you know we can supply other people mm-hmm. with the same product and that's worked. But, you know, on a local level for, you know, fruits and vegetables, we could we could build a processing plant here, mm-hmm. 
really probably pretty simply, and I'm working. That's one of the things I'm going to work on. I'm working on now that could supply all these institutions and probably be price competitive now because processed food is expensive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we have all this like we have all these farmers that are amazing that are struggling to grow CSA farms and growing like you know 200 vegetables or you know 200 like 40. Right. And it's like, hey, buddy, how about you just grow an acre of cauliflower? Right, right. <laughs> yeah, no, I think you are right. And and my thing with Food Finance Institute is watching the same, the same um, wave of struggling businesses and trying to get them to <coughs> develop a business model that's actually financially sustainable because otherwise it's not... We're not doing, we're just creating churn, which I'm not sure is building a better world. It's just churn, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I look at some of the entrepreneurs. I look at, like, you know, if you need to get food processed now, you know, you go work with these, like, larger processors, and their flexibility is, like, zero. zero. Right, yeah. So, like, what if we created a system in which the flexibility was there? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and had the tool sets and stuff. I think those. Mm-hmm. I think that. I think there's a lot of opportunity there, mm-hmm. and it could really help people mm-hmm. make people's lives a lot better. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's kind of the next. Um, you know, and the food hub people are trying to do that. Um, I think that the world needs people like you who have as much on the ground practical understanding of what this actually takes, um, you know, both from the user perspective of what that broccoli needs to look like, yeah. right, and, and and how to develop systems to run a facility that's doing central processing like that because if you don't, that's like nuts and bolts, not not glamorous knowledge that no that nobody has you know yeah. it's just practical stuff right yeah i think there's like that the bridging that between the industrial side and the kind of the artisan local side that can happen a lot you know so like i'll, I'll tell a story i i went to oscar meyer to do a product development one day with them mm-hmm. and i was not interested in getting a product in oscar meyer but i jumped at this opportunity because i was like, i want to see how you guys how work. you do it <laughs> yeah and uh what you had was a group of people who were um, not very creative. They could have been creative. They just there was not a need for it. But were technically proficient and so smart and solved like all the problems that like you know me and the other person I was working with. We just like we we're like okay, here's the product we want to do, and they're like, oh, you can use this, and you can use this process, you can use this process, and this is that will do it. And we're just like, well, that was easy, yeah, right, <laughs> like, right. And <laughs> otherwise, it would have taken you months. Of, yeah, uh, right. Yeah. And so you have these, yeah. con- and I was like, okay, yeah. so we have all this technical expertise on how to get there, but we don't have, mm-hmm. you know, people who are maybe in tune to where the like, you know, where the artisan market is is at and and stuff. Well, so. and they can. It's like moving an ocean liner, right? And and they can't. <laughs> I heard I heard Lou Gentine, who is the um, the I don't know CEO president I don't know what his title is head of Sargento talk once yeah. and he said it costs them ten million dollars to launch a SKU yeah and and that's all because they're in national distribution and they too have to support national distribution with promotions and they can't just launch in one place because other places will be pissed and so. <laughs> And they're everywhere, yeah. right? So it's a $10 million launch by the time you're done. And so 
you can't make mistakes. You know, like the way you're set up, you can want, you can try new stuff every day. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there's an opportunity to be there. So yeah, there has to be like there has to be some more conversations between those two worlds. Right to help to help the art artisanal side of things become more efficient and more scalable. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You know, it's like uh, Oscar Mayer. You know, I was talking to another executive there. Um, who was no longer there, and, you know, she was talking about how, you know, they had launched this energy snack pack, and the product itself was, like, pretty awful. Mm-hmm. Um, but now it's, like, a billion-dollar, you know, product for them, and it, they just have that capability. They have the distribution network. They have all these things. And I'm like, man, imagine if you had something good. I know, <laughs> right? You know, she's like, yeah, it's a billion-dollar model market. And I Isn't was like, that crazy? And it's like, you know. But then that means that they can't look at stuff when it's small, right? Yeah. So there's, I think you're you're right that what we're, the opportunity to scale up artisanal into because those are the kind of products that consumers want right now, right? Um, yeah. To scale them up, and that would bring some of the price points down too. Price points down, yeah. I mean, there would be a lot, a lot. You know, it's so expensive to produce products for a small amount of people. Right. Exactly. Know. Yeah. The other thing I, um, you know, you're a, you're a, this this horizontal growth path as you having a series of local businesses, but your meats sell all over the country now, don't they? Yeah. 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 You know, again, it's it wasn't ever like the goal, but it was just like how how you take opportunity and and look at it, and you know, it was like, I I mean, I think we literally were just like, oh, we want to make salami, and then. So then we're like, well, you need to have this licensing, and then, and then we were looking at the licensing, and like, well, we can. We're in Madison, and Chicago is two hours away or two and a half hours away, and we can't sell to you know, the the second or third largest market in the country, <laughs> which is two hours away. Which right? is two hours away because there's a regulatory side. We're like, okay, well, like. We have master's degree in policy, so let's like figure out the, <laughs> the regulatory, <laughs> the regulatory side. side. And then it was like, all right. So then you know, so it's like you know, we're looking at all these things, and we're like, oh. And then uh, we get there, and we're a national company. I was like, did we even mean to start a meat processing business, or did we just like solve a bunch of problems, and then suddenly, you suddenly know, you are a meat. <laughs> suddenly we're a meat processing problem. Uh, so are you in? Are you selling through distributors, or is it all direct, or how how do you get all over the country with meat? Yeah, I mean, so we have a great product, so. You know, so this is like, you know, I like to think about things in economic terms because mm-hmm. I think it's helpful to inform. It's like understanding incentives and understanding um, kind of markets is, I think, is helpful to making decisions. So we have a product that is, um, has a high barrier of entry. Mm-hmm. So it's a high, it's highly regulated. It's a Capacity is really difficult. Like, uh, processing is difficult. It's not easy. You, you know, it takes experience and thing, even though, you know, that's not a super high barrier. And the other thing is um, that, you know, the kind of the the amount of equipment is also, you know, the, the plant itself is an expensive thing. And so we kind of, we got, we figured all those three things out. We, I think we were really innovative in the way we did that. You know, we like, you know, we, we, 
we bought a lot of used equipment. We understand how the equipment works. We're really nifty on that. Mm-hmm. You know, we, you know, we crowdsourced financing for the food safety stuff and then did a lot of like became leaders in that area and understanding it and, and stuff. And then, you know, and then, you know, we spent a long time figuring out how the product works. But what you end up with is a shelf-stable product that ships. Right. <laughs> so once you once you have gone over those barriers of entry, then you you are with a really great product that doesn't really go bad. In a, it's not highly perishable. Right. And you don't have to rely on uh, distribution networks that are super expensive. Mm-hmm. So right now we're just shipping directly to retailers mm-hmm. who are excited about our product because they've heard of us. And they like it, <laughs> hopefully. Mm-hmm. And they're excited to have something new. Right. And they're excited to have something that has, you know, from a quality standpoint, is really up there. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. we're, we're capturing a lot of market by that. You know, we're, we can't really keep up with, we're not being super aggressive about growth just because, like, we can't keep up with production as it is, like we're, mm-hmm. we're not, not, not that we can't, we're struggling to keep up the yeah, production. Yeah. It's like close every week. Right. And you're not, you know, you're not that, your capacity is not that high, right, to me. I mean, it's still a very, I don't know, handmade process that you're using. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that being said, you know, we're a seven-person plant doing probably well over a million dollars in revenue so right yeah it's kind of that's kind of sweet yeah it is kind of <laughs> sweet yeah yeah given that the rest of your businesses are so much more labor intensive yeah, yeah. yeah. four quarters like yeah. 40 people right right 40 people in one restaurant yeah so yeah yeah but um so so it's um you can ship ups or or fedex or whatever right yeah 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 yeah, yeah. it's great so yeah so we, we just ship directly to stores mm-hmm. and that makes us you know so we're we're able to keep that margin right now, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and we potentially, you know, we're getting to the point where maybe we can drop our prices, mm-hmm. and then we'll probably be price competitive with companies who are going through distribution. Right. And right. so then then we're in a really sweet spot because we don't have to work with the distribution network, mm-hmm. and we can probably ship out a decent amount of volume, and so our right. growth projections could be really great. Right. And you'll need a new plant. We have, we're working on a new plant. You're right working now. on a new plant. Yeah. So, uh, so do you have somebody who helps you with all this business development work you do, or is that really the focus of what you do in the company these yeah. days? Uh, I don't, and I desperately need someone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, you know, I'm glad I understand it. I'm glad, mm-hmm. but, like, it's not easy work to no. do. And, um, you know, there's parts of the business development that Mel does, but like when it comes down to the like gritty numbers mm-hmm. and like projections and writing and this right. other and stuff, right? And negotiating with people and raising the money and yeah, that's yeah. all on me. Yeah. And like, I think I think back and I'm just like, man, like I could have, we could be so much more successful if I had someone to help mm-hmm. me with that piece of what you do. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it's a hard skill. It's a it's a um, skill set that's hard to find in people, because it's so you know it's diverse, right? The ability to 
to do business development on the finance side as well as the market side as well as the negotiate with people side, you know. Yeah. I mean, essentially, you're describing somebody who has their own company, yeah. right? Yeah, or, and I mean, there so could be support in that, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, I would, you know, I wish, like, five years ago I would have, or not five, maybe, like, four years ago I would have, like, found an MBA <laughs> and just been like, all right, mm-hmm. you can get in now. Right, right. Right. It is. And as you continue to grow, it'll become just, it'll become a bottleneck, right? It yeah. becomes. You know, I think at some point, you know, we'll be at a place where we could hire a pretty high level person. Yeah, I would imagine. Who would be able to do a lot of that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you're probably getting close. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. I mean, 150 employees, that's a lot of employees. <laughs> and seven businesses, just keeping, just keeping track of all that is going to, is, yeah. 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 You've been working with Tori Miller too, haven't you? On a on a project in for, I don't know if I'm using the quite the right words for this, but professionalizing the industry here. Um, yeah. So the employment side. Yeah. So I, so Tori and I kind of were talking around like how like how why why are we struggling with labor issues so much and mm-hmm. stuff, and so, um, so through that. I founded a nonprofit, and Tori's been supportive, but he's he's like an advisor mm-hmm. to it. But like, so I founded a nonprofit with another guy, Matt Fairfick, and Chandra Miller. We we were like, okay, like we think that we've got something that could work here, which is that there's a huge labor need, and then we have communities that are have underemployment who don't feel like they can. Why 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 aren't they coming to our kitchens? Mm-hmm. Like why are there people looking for work and why aren't we connecting to those people who right. aren't connecting to work? So, you know, we, you know, so when I thought about it, I was like, okay, you know, what spurred it was like there's reading that there's like a 25% unemployment rate of like black men in, in Madison, mm-hmm. <laughs> young black men. And I was like, okay, well, I would love to meet. <laughs> right. Wouldn't we love to be employing some of these people? Yeah. These people who are, you know, looking for work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and so it was like, okay, like, well, we know that you're not going to look for work in, if you don't have um, connections to the industry. Mm-hmm. So no one's just going to walk into my kitchen and be like, hey, I've never heard of you guys. Are you hiring? Mm-hmm. And I've never worked in a kitchen before. Right. So it was like, okay, how do you connect? So, mm-hmm. so we started connecting with organizations and being like, okay, like we're going to run this three-week program where people will understand the language of a kitchen, they'll understand how to connect into it, and, um, and that would launch into, a, into then helping them find jobs. Mm-hmm. And so we, we did it once, and we're continuing to build out the organization. It was really mm-hmm. successful. We had four people. They left the program feeling really empowered Mm-hmm. And understanding what the mm-hmm. what the needs are for working in a kitchen, and I feel mm-hmm. like they felt much more comfortable entering the job market with that training. So, mm-hmm. and are they are they do you, have you followed them? Are mm-hmm. they doing? Are they working for you? Or so we decided <laughs> not to hire anyone at Underground. Okay, because we felt like that we, we wanted to like understand the model. Right. So it was like, why can't? can't game the model, right? Right, right, right. Got it. Um, and so everyone everyone, um, everyone who wanted to be working, mm-hmm. we had like a, 
a high schooler who did the program who's interested in working in kitchens and he's just in high school still. So. Right, he doesn't, yeah. <laughs> but the other people, the other three, mm-hmm. all found work in the industry mm-hmm. um, and they found good jobs. Mm-hmm. Good. So, I mean, the labor market's desperate right now, so like someone who's like a good employee mm-hmm. is going to be. So like one of the people is like a manager at a bakery now. Cool. And the other person got a job at UW. Good. In the kitchen there. You right. Know, that's benefits and salary. Yeah, yeah, you know, like yeah. they're making more than my line cooks are. So. Right, right. Well, so so you, you, do you have plans to do more of those? Yeah, so we want to run that program 10 times a year. 10 times a year, cool. Or eight times a mm-hmm. year, so mm-hmm. um, do it with about 10 people mm-hmm. and see how it works, mm-hmm. <laughs> or eight people. You know what? I, I mean, this is the great thing about being an entrepreneur. It's kind of liberating when you be, when you discover this because you can try stuff, and it's, we don't, you know, it's, so it doesn't work. Then you try something else. I mean, we know this. The current situation isn't working, right? Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it gives space, you know. And it's also like, you know, I know at this point in my career that if I want to start something that people will get pretty excited about it. Of course they will, yeah. And um, and so I'm trying to use that place mm-hmm. to really make, <laughs> to really work on issues and things that, like, That are I, bigger, that you... That are bigger, and, you mm-hmm. know, I don't, I don't think, you know, after going through the election in 2016, mm-hmm. I want to use every power and influence mm-hmm. I have to help people who are not in the same position that I'm in. Mm-hmm. And so um, so by so by recognizing that I am in this place of privilege and I have these opportunities, mm-hmm. I've just been like, okay, how else can I mm-hmm. push forward to like make, you know, m- make institutions and create institutions that are that are helping people who didn't have the same access. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah, and and you could solve a bunch of problems, both you know, for the labor situation. It is a, it is an, um, it's challenging a lot of policymakers, man. I mean, yeah. you know, and a lot of cultural issues. Um, so, we'll yeah. see. I mean, I applaud what you're what you're trying to accomplish, and we can all learn a lot from the in it, the entrepreneurial process. You know, we're we're all entrepreneurs are all about what's we know the rocks are in the river. We just find a way around them, yeah. right? And that that process getting applied to solving some pretty intractable social problems is a really cool thing in and of itself. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so like you know, just from my background, I have a master's in public affairs and public policy, and so like I'm a policy thinker. Mm-hmm. I have this like, and so like I'm constantly in, and now I'm in an opportunity work, I'm working with institutions a lot. You know, mm-hmm. I, work with, I work with the city, at the university, and hospitals, and I have these opportunities, and it's just like, you know, a lot of the left's response to um, our policy problems has been to create um, a social safety net that is stronger. And, well, I think that is an important thing. Sometimes, like, innovating solutions... Mm-hmm to our problems Mm -hmm. could be really great too. And, you know, I don't want to like downplay because I don't think we fund the social safety net enough, but like something that I care a lot about is like the food that we're feeding our kids in school. Mm -hmm. And you look at it and you look at the budgets and they're awful. Mm -hmm. But 
if we use some of the ingenuity that kitchens use mm-hmm. <laughs> to like make healthy, delicious food, we could get a lot farther than serving chicken McNuggets and a hot dog bun. Right, right. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. you know, and there are these government supports already. There are these food banks and there's these subsidized programs that have real foods in it. And we can, we could use some of the ingenuity from the entrepreneur side um, to solve some of our social problems, mm-hmm. I think. I think, and that's, that's a place that I think, you know, being an entrepreneur and also being interested in policy is like a really awesome space. And I say this, you know, it's like I went to public policy, went to school to become a bureaucrat and I became an entrepreneur. Yeah, right. And now I have <laughs> so much more influence on policy than I ever, ever would have had. Ever would I, have yeah, had if I just could totally, have gotten a government job. Yeah, I totally know. get it. It's um, it's a wonderful um, it's a wonderful place to be, and for people like us, it 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 causes this sense of responsibility in a way that that to you know noblesse oblige, right? We're we're obligated to do something to make the world a better place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, I've been thinking, you know, I've been thinking from a political standpoint, you know, you know, supporting small businesses is is always a talking point, mm-hmm. but I, we actually don't. Do a very good job. Of no, it. we don't. It's, and I it's think that crazy. I think that someone who is on the left could create a political framework in which we support. You could you could put a political report where we support business, small businesses right. getting going. You know, like I mean, the struggles that I have had to deal with, and I'm, you know, a well off white man, <laughs> right? Right, who's really smart who went to graduate school, yeah, yeah. right? So yeah, like these yeah. have been, and it's like, okay, like I am coming from a place of privilege. I have felt struggle. I have felt so many things and these are problems that are not hard to fix a lot of times, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, like what if we created better business supports so that people could enter the marketplace and they, we could lower the barriers for everybody on some of these things, you know, we could see economic activity happen mm-hmm. in some of these communities which have been lost a lot of economic activity mm-hmm. and lost these larger businesses. And we could replace that with small entrepreneurs who are innovating and using technologies and stuff. So I think there's a political place to support small businesses by creating better supports. Oh, I do too. That, that's why I yeah, created the Food Finance Institute, what you, yeah, right? It's what, it's you what do. I do. And I think there's an incredible opportunity. Um, you and know, it's and only I, you. It's, well, it's me and it's <laughs> yeah, Zach, yeah, right? Yeah. And, and, um, and it's not nearly enough. So, you know, my response to that has been now I train other consultants like small business development center people and extension people to understand more about money because part of this is – is business has got more complicated. I mean, yeah. it isn't as easy as it used to be to start a business. And the level of knowledge about everything in business has changed. So I focus on money because I happen to know a lot about money, and that's one of the biggest gaps in my experience, but that we got gaps all over the place in yeah. this. I yeah. think a lot about, you know, so one of the things I want to do is, you know, um, is create like a, a really small innovation center in the food world where someone comes and goes, guess what? I want to start a food business. Right. And we can go, okay, what's your product? Mm-hmm. 
and then they can take their pro- we take their product mm-hmm. and we figure out all the food safety needs. Mm-hmm. We figure out all the the food science needs. These are not hard things. These are mm-hmm. things that like uh, more or less I could do. Mm-hmm. We figure out all their packaging needs. Mm-hmm. We figure out everything we sh- we make 10 of them we're like okay that was $37 a jar. Mm-hmm. So how are you going right, to make this right. work? <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> if you want to sell your grandmother's plum pudding, right. you know like Right. You know. Mm-hmm. And then they have to think okay so like it takes some people a year of struggling to get there and they're like oh, I had to figure out all this food science stuff mm-hmm. that I didn't know about. It's like gosh man that knowledge is already out there like we don't right. need to recreate that again. Right. You know, so how do so yeah, so I wanna create this like small little just incubator thing where it's like someone can just be like, Here's some pickles I made. Right. How what's the cost? Right. And how much like, guess is what? Cost? If you make ten thousand dollars ten thousand of them, you have a marketable product. Right. Right. And and my thing at the at the moment is watching so many of these smaller startups fail. Um is, That's your thing is to watch them fail. No. Well, they don't usually come to me when they yeah. – honestly, they ha- I tell my joke is that people have to lose money and suffer for three years before they come to me yeah. because they just haven't gotten to the place where they're ready to listen so much. Um, and, and I'm more I'm, – I really want to create scalable um, business opportunities because I think we've got some major – opportunities and challenges coming with our food system, right? And and not just system, with agriculture, increased variability in production situations because of climate. Yeah. It's happening to all my ag people already. I mean, yeah. the idea that this is something in the future needs to get out of people's heads right away. Yeah. And so this changes everything about their farms, but it also changes things about our food production, like being able to rely on you know, tomatoes that taste like this and come from there and all of that is kind of like from year to year is going to be really different unless we change a lot of things. And so that's scalable. Business can be instrumental in, in helping this happen. Yep. I mean, I see this in the co- companies I work with. Yeah, I know. I, I, I agree with you there. You know, like we are definitely living in a time where the way that, this, this idea that, like, set production, you know, you can expect this much to come from this This producer. farm at this time. This time. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, something as simple as um, I was on, on uh, um, Gary Zimmer's farm and the intercrop things, yeah. um, um, and one of the things is, be- is beans. And the canneries in our state, our, can- our state has been traditionally a cannery vegetable state. On, we're talking farms at scale now, bigger farms, yeah, yeah, right? Um, you schedule a time when you're going to deliver, right? Yeah. And, and he's like, you know, the time has been different every year, every season for the last three years. And not by just two days. We're talking weeks. And you can understand why the cannery scheduled it, right? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but but that whole mechanism isn't going to work when you have when you have so much variability in climate. Yeah, and uh, I mean, this is already a highly variable. And it's already variable, you right? Know? Yeah. So like any variable that any kind of consistency we had there is now going to be like much more difficult. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
but there's also opportunity. So there, all of this for us who are entrepreneurial people, we look at those things and go, oh, opportunity, right? There's yeah. opportunity to be changing and starting new companies that solve problems or managing existing things in different ways, all of that. But it, you come from it from this perspective of entrepreneurial opportunity. Um, and these are scalable opportunities, right? So I applaud all the local food stuff. I just, I just feel like at this point we need some larger scaled up innovation happening. Yeah, I mean, one of my main things is I wish people would like um, be more open to working together mm-hmm. in the local food system. You know, like I think people kind of carved out their space and maybe they're making a living, you know, mm-hmm. but I think it's going to take some people to step back and be like, okay, like we are, how do we come together to, you know, really put our, our buying power and our weight in the same space so that we can create, you know, you know, build this infrastructure, I think. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think, yeah, coming back to that, I just, I really think that that infrastructure just isn't there. Mm-hmm. And for the local foods to be something that touches more people. Yeah, yeah. And we're in a place that is, as you've said several times, we actually have agriculture close here. So it's not, you know, can you imagine? We don't have infrastructure. You're on the East Coast somewhere and trying to get, you know. Yeah. I, I mean, just the logistics of it, my head hurts just thinking about trying to get a truck into Manhattan, you know, and like, oh, my God, right? So, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, and yeah. I, I mean, and again, I think, you know, I think people think about local foods a lot. And I think, like I said, like I think I said earlier, you know, sometimes I think that can be a barrier into it. You know, we live in an agricultural area that could feed a lot of people. And I think we should think about that in Mm -hmm. our capacity to do something highly sustainable. And, you know, doesn't not everything has to be a reaction to the transportation miles. Right, right. Which, when you look at the carbon impact of agriculture, when you really study it, it's actually tiny compared to the carbon, the the source of the carbon footprint of producing food, right? It's It's actually kind of trivial compared to that. I, I, but I think I think it's coming. It's motivated though by people wanting to be more connected. There's an emotional motivation behind this, right? Yeah, that they want to know where their food came from, and you can't blame them for that. Absolutely, and I yeah. think you know people knowing their farmers and building mm-hmm. these. I mean, when I talk about local food systems, the thing that I actually talk about is like the most important thing is the community. Yeah, it's like I love that I buy carrots from Kristen at Blue Moon Farm Mm -hmm. because I think she's a wonderful person and I think she grows beautiful carrots and I think beautiful vegetables and I think that she is a good person to have in our our food community you know do do I love that she uses sustainable methods yeah that's really important to me do I care that she's 20 minutes that's really awesome because it builds my community is it because of transportation miles no right Right. And I think, I think honestly, a lot of that, that's where this is coming from. And there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. I, and I'm just kind of adding this other layer from my perspective on this, that, that there are emerging opportunities for scalable, you know, it's your processing, your, your word for this is processing, but scaled um, opportunities. That is the next, kind of the next frontier of local food. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a whole other world of agricultural products that could hit the market that 
could come from, you know, small local entrepreneurs that are doing it in a way that like has a larger impact. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I absolutely think that's true. So is, have we missed anything? We've been we've gone from very specific when you and your brother starting your um, catering company to, yeah. to very philosophical, forward-thinking <laughs> things, which is a good thing. We need to have more conversations like this. The thing to come back to it is is underground is trying to build. You know, when when I look at what underground is now, you know, we're trying to have as many. Um, many places in the food world as possible mm-hmm. because we want to understand all these different avenues and what we are, what we are in the future. You know, I have no idea, you know, mm-hmm. but like I, what I want to do is like, I've created these businesses, you know, we've created these businesses in a way that like, now I understand retail. Mm-hmm. Now I understand vegetable production. Now I understand meat processing. Now I understand, you know, events. I understand, uh, serving food, you know, doing, you know, and so from there, you know, I think we'll be well positioned to do these more scalable things, you know, it's good thing that I have to struggle so much for money because like, if I didn't, I would be like 300 more businesses (laughs) 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 because like, it's this like, you know, like, it's like, me and a friend, you know, we concepted out like a fast casual thing and had like every single element of it defined really quickly and had all these models and like we're figuring out production levels and it's like, okay, well, like, guess what? We don't have a million and a half dollars, dollars to, to do yeah. this. And, you know, it's like, you know, or, you know, looking at other opportunities, you know, we've always thought through them, you know, and mm-hmm. so we do these exercises and this is like we're limited by that, which is, you know, it's probably a good thing. It may be a good thing. It may not be a good thing. I mean, um, that, you know, getting back to the Food Finance Institute, as I said, I think raising money is a big barrier for people. And and um, and it's a complicated, time-consuming process for every single one of your businesses, right? Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we don't really talk about raising money that much. Um, mm-hmm. It's just, it's not... From someone who wants to think through systems, it's not a very systematic process. It isn't. And that's, I think, really frustrating because, like... I think people want to make it, like, I know this because people come to me and they say, well, tell me what the steps are and and put them, like, one, two, three, like, number them. And I'm like, okay, well, I can get you to a certain place. And then there's no there's no one, two, three, man. It is, it, and every project is a bit different and... Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, you know, it depends. And there's all the different models of raising money and, you know. And what kind of money is appropriate at what time and what, what kind of, even among your businesses, there are different kinds of money that would be, a, that anybody would even give you for a meat company versus a restaurant, right? I mean, it's not the same. They're yeah. not financed in the same way, so. You know, there was a project that I was associated with that got, like, a loan for, like, a million dollars. And they're like, yeah, one of the reasons we gave you money was because Johnny Hunter's involved. And I was like, you could just give me the you money. You could give me the money. Yeah, <laughs> right. That would be good. Yeah. Like, when, 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 when did that conversation not happen? Because I'd take it right now. <laughs> and the secret is that somebody probably had a balance sheet behind it that made that possible. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, there, and there's other things, too, you know. Um, but, yeah, it's really funny how those things work and how just non-logical it is at times. It is non-logical at times. And it's, um, 
Yeah, and it's got to be frustrating for you to be in that place. Having said that, people also do understand that there's there's limits to your capacity, right? So, so if we keep lending you more money or, or investing more money in yet another Johnny Hunter business that he's professing to run, yeah. they, they're not going to believe it anymore, <laughs> right? And it's probably a good thing, right? Yeah. yeah. And I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, we haven't used a ton of financing through banks. And so... I know. You've, you are, that is an incredible... It's an incredible thing about how you've grown your business because you because of the fire it essentially forced you into yeah. this other alternative financing realm, right? For growing and funding all of this. Yeah, yeah. That and so, you know, we've had to be and you know, there's been you know, we've we've looked at innovations and and raising money too, and I think that's been fine, but you know, it would have been easier other ways. Yeah. No, of course it would. Yeah. And and it never gets any easier. I mean, food is not profitable enough, really, to, to self-fund. I mean, rapid growth, it just isn't. So yeah. you have to bring money in. Yeah. Sometimes. I don't need to tell you that. No. Yeah. Have you gotten to a place where any of your people have exited? Yeah. Your yeah. investors? I mean, we were able, you know, we went from... Angels to series, mm-hmm. so you know we had people exit. Good. So, um, at this point, I think most people don't want to exit. So, mm-hmm. well, they see the the you know profitable growth, and why would you want to exit, right? Yeah, you know, I don't think people think through necessarily how the funding will work in the future, but you know, I think that that is something that you know you always want to give yourself room. <laughs> And to to be able to maneuver things around, and I think you know, there's been places where you've where we've missed opportunities because we didn't have that room. Right, right. And it's just like, okay, well, we could have taken this chance and done something really cool there, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but we couldn't because we were stuck to a funding model over here. Right, right, right. And that that gets back to this business development exercise, right? That you you um, it. it there's a lot to think through at the time you're doing the business model development, and part of it is how it's going to be funded and how it's going to impact the rest of your business. And I think that's the interrelationships among your businesses and the complexity of this is part of why a lot of people don't do it, right? You yeah. have to You have to have a big bandwidth for thinking this stuff through in order to grow a business the way you have. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, it's one of those things where, like, you know, I think we we built all this infrastructure, we built all this capacity, and now, you know, it took us a while to do that. But now we're opening, you know, two new businesses in 2018, you know, and so that, and we're expanding one of them pretty substantially, too. So it's like, okay, so, like, and I don't even lose sleep about that because I'm like, you know what, we, are, we, have, we have it. This won't be hard. And you also have built a team, right? Yeah. That's that's part of this too. That you have you have good leadership in the places that where this is happening now. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. People who can take on some of those responsibilities mm-hmm. and who are excited for the opportunities. So. Right. Right. Damn! It's always exciting to talk to you. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's good. I don't really get a chance to talk about this stuff. Normally, it's just like a conversation in my head, you know. Right, right, absolutely, absolutely, and it's in, it's um, it's good to have people who are being a bit philosophical about this in a in a grounded, practical way. Yeah, right? I think we don't have a lot of lot of that dialogue in the 
in the food world. So thank you so much for all you do, and thanks for coming down. And I look forward to staying in touch with you because you will bring amazing new things to the world. I know you will. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for listening. You can get more podcasts by subscribing on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And you can learn more about Edible Alpha by visiting our website at ediblealpha.org. Thank you.